0: Well, it is a great honor to be here and uh, to get to know this body of believers and uh, to hear the story of what God has been doing in your church and uh, in many of your lives. Uh, I'm so thankful to have had the privilege of uh, meeting not just the members and and elders of this church, uh, but to meet your pastor and uh, to connect with him. And you're here today because the word has been at work in your life and in your family. And God uses means by which that word does its work. And one of those means is a faithful pastor teacher. And you've had that for the entirety of the history of this church in your beloved pastor and his wife. And I want you to know that we hold him as a seminary and as a university in very high regard. And uh, I'm so thankful, if nothing else comes out of this trip, just the privilege of getting to know him and to know how to pray for him and uh, to partner uh, with him and with the elders here in ministry. We desire to serve this church well as a seminary and a university. And then yesterday afternoon, to have the privilege of meeting several alumni and uh, prospective students for the university and the seminary. Uh, we are longing to see more churches like this and to train another generation of people to do exactly what you're doing. And what I heard this morning from John, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the lady's name, Julie. Julie to come up here. Uh, you know, after that announcement, I thought, man, I should sign up. But it's a, it's a long commute. Uh, from California, it's a four-hour trip to California. I tell people all the time, uh, the seminary and the university are four hours away from here. All you got to do is get on an airplane and go four hours, and you're there, and you and you save yourself a lot of hassle and a lot of worry. People don't buy that yet, but I think if I keep saying it, maybe people will. But again, it's just a, it's a delight to be here today. Pray for us. Uh, pray that God will bless the work that. Uh, God started there and in his, in his doing through the commitment that we have to the theology that is building your life and the doctrine that marks this church, uh, our doctrine would be one and the same with what you have here. And uh, the strength of our institution and really the viability of our institution are not in its promotional strategies or in its donors or in its enrollment, it's in its theology. And as we keep that theology straight And our commitment to that doctrine remains firm. I believe God will bless the ministry that is there. So it's good to be here this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to look at five verses this morning in the paragraph that begins the final section of this second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to what may have been his very first church that the Lord raised up through his gospel preaching. And uh, it's certainly one of the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, and so it's very instructive for us. While you are turning there, and we'll read the text here in a moment, maybe the best way to introduce our topic this morning is to tell you a story about two men sitting across a table from each other about 60 years ago were almost 60 years ago in, uh, actually, 60 years ago in 1960. So some of you in this room would have been alive during that time. Uh, And those two men were sitting across a table from each other, and they had a conversation that that literally turned their destinies. You know, sometimes you have conversations that change your life and that change where your life is going and, and the context in which your life happens. This didn't start out like that, but it ended up being like that. And by the time it was all said and done, one of those men would own a massive publishing company, and the other would be an international author with a household name and untold wealth. And as they sat there this morning, before any of this became a reality, they were having a conversation around a wager. One of those men was a man named Theodore Geisler, and the other was a man named Bennett Serf. Bennett Cerf had been a part of the founding team of a publishing house that many of you who are in education, or if you've ever bought a book, a textbook, or you've been in a college class and you bought a textbook, you, you may have bought a book from this particular publishing house called Random House Publishing, and Bennett Cerf was one of the, uh, the owners of that, co-founder of, of that publishing company in 1927. The other man, Theodore Geisler, was a writer in his mid-50s in 1960, and and the two were discussing a challenge. Uh, Seraph had a challenge for Theodore Geisler, and actually he was willing to wager that Geisler could not accomplish the challenge, and the challenge was to write a children's book using 50 words or less, 50 vocabulary words or less, and the words the and the word ah, would count in that particular challenge. And so, if Geisler actually uh, won the wager, then Cerf would come up and, uh, with his end and he would pay a dollar a word. And, the, and so, the wager was $50. And so, as they left uh, a couple of weeks later, Geisler came back and had actually accomplished the goal. Uh, and the book that he wrote went on to become an international bestseller. In fact. Uh, As of the last uh, recounting that I saw, this book had sold over 200 million copies. It made Random House famous, and it made Theodore Geisler famous, and it's a book that I think most of you have read at some point or another in your life, and maybe even have owned a copy. My name is Sam, so I have had a love-hate relationship with this book. And I'm sure you can figure out the title of the book. The title of the book is Green Eggs and Ham. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have read that book? I am so sorry. Uh, How many of you own a copy of that book or have owned a copy of that book? How many of you have read that book to your children, to your own children? Of course, you know who Theodore Geisler is now. You know that. Theodore Geisler is Dr. Seuss, and I'm certainly not in any way advocating his theology, his philosophy, or anything of that nature. I'm just making the point that that book came out of 47 words, 47 words that came about as uh, Theodore Geisler uh, had this bet. And as you think about that... when you start thinking about the paragraph that we're looking at, it might interest you to know that there are 47 vocabulary words that Paul used in the original language. And while these words in this paragraph are nowhere near as familiar as the ones that make up the book Green Eggs and Ham, they are far more significant. And while that book went on to change the destiny of these two men at the table, these words that the Apostle Paul wrote here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, are are powerful words that can do far more for you than a children's book that went on to sell 200 million copies. These words have the power to change your eternal destiny— And while you are on the way to your eternal destiny, they have the ability to shape your temporal direction along the way. And so I bring that to your attention as we come to the text, and I want us to read these words with that in mind. Paul said at the end of his second letter to these beloved Thessalonians, finally, brothers, pray for us. And here's what he wanted them to pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Would you pray with me as we attempt now to allow the Spirit of God to do His work in our life? Father, as we come to this wonderful paragraph of Scripture that you wrote through the pen of Paul, inspired by your Spirit for our good and for your glory, we pray that you would help us to see what you really said there. Lord, help me as I preach this morning to say nothing that would not reflect accurately what you wrote through the pen of Paul for our good. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us uh, to avail ourselves of the power of the Spirit that dwells in us to receive this truth. Lord, I need that as much as anybody in this room, Lord, that this truth would strengthen us, that it would stabilize us, that it would encourage us, that it would convict us. And then, Lord, use this truth in our lives to conform us more to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. It might surprise you to know that as we come to the third and final chapter in this letter, that we encounter this request from the Apostle Paul. It is not the only time in this letter that Paul has referenced the idea of prayer. Three different times in the first two chapters, the Apostle Paul has talked about praying. And and let me show those to you because I think they sort of lead in to our understanding of what Paul's heart is as we get to our paragraph in the third chapter. So when you come to the first chapter, he starts off right away in verse three referencing the fact that that he has an obligation, he has an appropriate desire uh, to pray for them, a prayer of thanksgiving. Notice how he puts it. We ought always... To give thanks to God for you, brothers. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? It wasn't too long before that these readers were not brothers, but they became brothers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when the Apostle Paul arrived to the city and he unleashed the truth of the gospel. And as the Spirit of God began to energize and empower the preaching of that gospel, what we find in chapter one of First Thessalonians is amazing. These believers, many of the, the citizens of Thessalonica, turned from their idols to worship, to serve the living God, and to wait for the coming of His Son from heaven. Paul says, "We ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. This is appropriate. This is meat. And we should give thanks because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul says, every time I think about you, there is an appropriate response that comes up in my heart. And it is deep thankfulness to God for the work that the word did in you as it came among you, for your growing love and for your bold faith. In fact, everywhere I go, he's going to say back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, everywhere I go, as soon as people hear that I was with you, I don't even have to tell them what happened to you because the word has spread throughout the entire region of Macedonia that something has happened to you, that you have believed a message and the message has transformed your life. What an incredible truth. And Paul says, every time I think about you, on every occasion that I come to the throne of grace for you, I celebrate you, I thank God for you. You know, would it surprise you to know that there are people who feel that way about you? That when they think about Hope Bible Church and they hear the story of what God has done here, would it surprise you to know that there are people around the country who are thankful for you and who pray that way for you? That's an amazing thing. And that is a true thing. And then Paul uh, has another moment where he talks about prayer. Look down to verse 11. Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you. What, what, what is it you're praying for? What is the end, Paul, of your prayer? To this end, we always pray for you. We are praying that our God may make you worthy of his calling. This is precisely what he said to the Ephesians, isn't it, when he talked to them in chapter 4 about walking worthy of your calling? And then he spends the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 illustrating what that looked like when they were together as a body and when they walked out of the church doors into the culture around them to walk worthy of their calling as a church and to walk worthy of their calling uh, when they were out among the pagan culture and then to walk uh, in love and to walk in truth and to walk in light and to walk submissively, to walk wisely and then to walk victoriously and boldly in warfare. I mean, Paul lays out what this worthy walk looks like in Ephesians chapter four. And he says, I'm praying that for you, that God would make you worthy of his calling and that he would fulfill every resolve for good and every work that comes out of faith by his power. You know this as a church, you know that this didn't happen by any worldly means. You know that the building you occupied is one that you would never have had it not been by the grace of God and the work of God in your heart as a church to believe and to, to labor together and to trust God and believe God for it. You know that the growth that has happened here isn't because of some human manipulation or, or some slick advertise. It is the power of God that brought all of this together. And you instinctively know this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible prayer. And then there's yet another time when Paul lifts up his voice and testifies to these dear believers, his beloved church at Thessalonica. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. We ought always To give thanks to God for you. I mean, do you get the impression that Paul is deeply thankful for this church? Every time he thinks about this body of believers, there's an amazing gratitude that comes out of his heart. Now, by the way, just so that you remember something, this is not a perfect church. But by the end of this book, in chapter 3, he's going to say a very difficult thing to them, right? He's going to say, there have been people that have come into your midst and they have they have brought a false message to you. And we read about that in chapter 5 of, of the first letter. And they've, they've tried to convince you of something that I never said to you. They've tried to convince you that the return of the Lord has already happened and that's just not true. And by the time you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is going to say now, I'm going to ask you to do a very difficult thing with regard to one of the members in your body. I'm going to ask you to withdraw fellowship from him because of the way he is living in contrary uh, to the truth he has been taught and to the commands that come from apostolic teaching that I faithfully delivered to you and it's bringing harm to the gospel. So this is not a perfect church. Yet every time Paul is referenced as thinking about this church there is a deep deep gratitude to God let me ask you something you don't have a perfect church I don't know you well enough to say that but I know the truth of God's word well enough to know that but in the midst of all the broken pieces that you may or may not see and experience as a member of Hope Bible Church do you feel this way about your church Is there a deep gratitude in your heart? Is there a deep thankfulness in your heart for what God has done here? This is the Apostle Paul. And it's against that backdrop that he comes now to the final chapter uh, of the recorded scripture, the inspired record that God wanted us to know about this church. And he has a prayer that he wants them to pray with him for the ministry. And that's really what I want us to look at. When you think about the work that God has done here in your church, when you think about the work that God is doing and has done at Grace Community Church through Pastor John MacArthur or at the seminary, the Master's Seminary or the university or the ministries that God is attending to in those locations and, and you see the, the affinity between those ministries and what is here, how do you pray for us and how do we pray for you? Can I suggest a pattern of, of how to pray for one another as we come to this text? And this is what I would love to pray for you, and this is what I would ask that you pray for us. Here's the first thing that Paul prayed for. Pray, Paul said, just as I pray for you and you pray for us, let's pray together. Pray for the powerful success of God's word pray that no matter what happens in our ministries or no matter what happens to us personally, no matter what the circumstances that God allows in his sovereign grace over us as he administrates that grace on a daily basis, no matter where that grace leads us and how that grace sustains us, and what outward things happen to us, here is what we should be praying together. Here's the primary thing we should be asking God, that the Word of God would have powerful success. Notice how Paul expresses this, pray for us, that the Word, the the logos, the message of the Lord, the message of from God, the message about God, the message about the Lord himself would speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Paul's saying, look, when you, when you pray for us, you know, things are happening. You know what happened to us at Philippi. He's going to reference that to this congregation. You know what happened to us at Philippi. And you've heard of the things we have suffered and endured for the gospel's sake. And by the way, we know what is happening to you and the things that you're enduring. And the thing we should be praying most is that the Word of God would have powerful success, that it would run freely, that, that, that it would expand rapidly, that it would experience unhindered progress, that it would enjoy spectacular success. That that's the idea of run freely. This, this word is used in extra-biblical literature to describe a runner running a course that is filled with obstacles. And, and as this runner runs, he is rapidly, easily overcoming the obstacles. It's the idea of somebody running a race with hurdles. And you can see the beauty of that race. If you've ever watched a good hurdler run It is, it is like, it's beautiful watching them just leap over those hurdles as though they weren't there. And Paul is saying, when the word of God is unleashed, pray that it would do that, that it would overcome every hurdle that is in its way. It's like water that is dammed up behind a barrier. I grew up in South Texas and My dad uh, was a hospital administrator, but on, but in his, in his, you know, everybody has these little dreams about what they are and what they wish they were. I think my dad wished he was a farmer because he bought a little 10 acre farm and he had three sons. So he had indentured servants. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that my dad did on that farm was he decided to take three acres of it and plant citrus. And so we had orange trees and uh, grapefruit trees. And you think, oh, how wonderful. No, trust me. Because we had to water those trees. This is South Texas, arid, dry, uh, not very uh, hospitable to anything that has life. Um, and so we, would, uh, we had a canal near our house, and my brothers and I would go out there and we would build these big rows of mounds of dirt, uh, and, and we would build irrigation ditches. And then we would fill up those ditches with water, and we would block them off by a large piece of canvas, until the ditch was filled with water and all the trees that were in that ditch would, would drink the water and then the water would stay, you know, would would continue to flow in. And one of the most wonderful things for us as little kids is we would pull up that canvas and release all that water. And it would just flow everywhere. And that's the image that that Paul is saying here. Pray that the Word of God would do that. Pray that the Word of God would run freely and then pray that it would be received appropriately, that it would not just have the ability to go everywhere it needs to go to bring life and to bring conviction. But when the Word of God comes and touches somebody's heart and life, or it comes to your life or my life, that we would receive it for what it really is, the word of God, and not the word of man. That it would be powerfully received for what it is, the word of God. That it would be believed for what it says, the truth from God. And that it would be personally embraced by its hearers, just like it was when we first unleashed it to you. Pray that. You know, isn't it true sometimes that it is possible to deeply affirm the truth about the Word of God, but to subtly and quietly resist that truth? I mean, have you ever been uh, in a service here and your wonderful pastor opened up the Word of God and fed you the truth and you celebrated that truth? It was like, that is awesome. That is wonderful. I wish so-and-so were here this morning to hear it. Does that ever happened to you? It. This is the perfect sermon for X or Y or Z. You know, I, I learned as a young preacher years ago, you can't preach loud enough for the people who didn't come to hear you. You say, what are you talking about? Well, sometimes you labor and you work on a message and you had somebody in mind. I mean, you're not supposed to, but You know, immaturity, you had somebody in mind, and they didn't come. And you are frosted. And so guess who gets the brunt of that? All the people who came. And and that's really not the way that God intended the word to work. The word is intended to go forth, and the Spirit of God is to take that word, and the Spirit of God knows exactly what's going on in your heart Because the Spirit of God is at work through the Word in your life. You know, there are two kinds of men in the world. There are are Home Depot men, Lowe's men, and then the rest of us. And if you're a Home Depot guy, you love projects. You know, when something breaks in your house, it is a moment of celebration for you. you. You are like, yes, God, you are so good. I I am going to get to exercise gifts that you gave me and tools that I own. And and man, the bigger the project, the better. And if you don't have a tool, that's even better because then you get to go to the portal of paradise, Home Depot, and and buy that tool and about three others that you spotted that you just might need, right? And your wife can't say anything because she sent you there to get this project done. It's glorious. And then there's guys like me. And you recognize guys like me because when we see a project, we panic. And our wives tell us, please don't go to Home Depot. Call a plumber. It'll just be, it'll be easier. Just it'll, trust me, honey, it will be better. This is not a threat on your manhood. You, we, we, we you know, we know this. Um, when we fought, first were married my wife and I bought a little house and uh, it was one of those little houses that was a fixer upper kind of house and you remember those houses they had wallpaper now most, most people today don't even know what wallpaper is but back in the day houses used to have wallpaper and, and you remember walking by, uh, every guy here will relate to this, you walk by the wall and you see the wallpaper and there's a little corner of that wallpaper peeling up a Home Depot guy is like yes because under that, perhaps, is a glorious project awaiting. And so they will go and grab that wallpaper and yank it up. Hopefully, it is way more than just replacing wallpaper. I mean, if, if the Lord is blessing, it might even be wood rot. But we have to, now. I mean, it's awesome. And then you got guys like me and we walk by there and we lick it and we push it down. And if that doesn't solve it, we hang a picture there. That's why if you went through some of my houses, we have pictures in really strange places. You know, Paul is, in a sense, going at that here. He is saying, pray that the word of God will come into your life and you won't lick the wallpaper. Pray that you will let the word of God do its work in your life. Pray that every time your pastor preaches... The Word of God will do a deep work in somebody's life, and may it start in yours. So pray for the powerful success of the Word of God. Now, notice the second thing that Paul prays for. Pray, he said, for the powerful success of God's Word. But what happens when the Word begins to do its work? And it begins to water the soil in somebody's life. And it begins to expose the things that the Spirit of God is about to start changing. What happens when the word of God is received for what it really is in the life of a person and that word begins to do the work? Because the word is what grows a believer. The word is what uh, matures a believer. It It is the instrument that God uses to bring about maturity and growth. So what happens when the word begins to do its work? There is opposition. And you can see that. In the next text, uh, the next portion of the paragraph, look at verse 2. Pray, Paul said, for the power success of God's word, but pray for protection as the word begins to do its work. Pray that we may be delivered, rescued is the idea, from wicked and evil men. Why? Because they don't all have faith. Not everybody has faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you, the idea there is keep you, protect you, it's a military term, against the evil one. So Paul is identifying the fact and the reality that when the word begins to do its work, there, there is an evil agent who is going to come against that work, and he is going to use perhaps even other people to do that work. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, Paul is being very frank with this church. He's being very, very clear with this church that when you pray for the word of God to do its work and to bring its life giving truth to bear on your life, things are going to happen. And all of a sudden your life in some ways is going to get harder before it gets better. And there's a spiritual reason for that, and it isn't because God is powerless, and it isn't because God is faithless. It's because there is an active enemy that is coming against that, and he is going to use people in that process. Sometimes those people are external, like the ones at Philippi and the ones at Thessalonica who opposed Paul's preaching, but sometimes those people are internal. They came into the church at Thessalonica with a letter that appeared to be from Paul. And Paul had to say, that isn't isn't the apostolic teaching. Sometimes they'll come in and so influence people in the church that those people who are influenced by that false teaching themselves become opposers to the true teaching. Do you realize that the demise of this church could potentially be through an individual that may be sitting here this morning? God forbid. You know, sometimes the beauty of a church, the harmony of the church, the peace of the church, the shalom of the church is destroyed not by an atheist from the outside, but for from a disgruntled believer on the inside who is determined to be self-willed and to resist the elders and the teaching. And that happens regularly in the church of Christ. And Paul says, pray that God would deliver you from that. Pray that God would keep you from that. Pray for the powerful success of God's word. Pray for protection as the word begins to do its work. Well, what is that protection? And the answer is obedience to the will of God that is revealed by that word. Pray for persistent obedience to the will of God. Look at verse 3. Paul said this. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. How will he do that? And the answer is in verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord about you. And what is that confidence? That you are doing right now. You have been doing. You are doing. And you will do the things that we command. The we there is Paul and the apostles. Paul saying this. The protection that god will give to his people is going to come through the word through the apostolic teaching isn't it amazing at times the decisions that people make and ground their decision on when they choose a church they immediately want to know what are the programs that are in you know what's available for me or for my kids or what ministry do you have and all of a sudden decisions about where you're going to grow spiritually are made on that basis. And Paul is saying, I I, I want you to think about this. You need to pray for the success of God's word. That is the number one thing that should govern any church choice you make. What is being taught consistently by the teachers and the elders of that church? Is it the word of God? And number two, how is that word being received by the people who sit under that teaching? How's that word being received? because it is the word that does its work. And when the word does its work, it produces something in the life of a believer. It produces obedience. Is the church a church that is hearing pieces of the word that are just sort of manipulated so that they sound good and and they meet a perceived need? Or is that church being taught and instructed line by line, precept by precept, in, into what God said would grow a believer. And, and how are they receiving that word? Is it, is it just something that they, uh, they, they hear and then they walk away and it has no impact on their life? Or is that word changing them? Are they doing the word? It was very meaningful to, to hear Julie's testimony about you this morning. That you didn't just hear the word, but the word was actually at work in your life, and it was producing obedience. So that you were using your gifts to serve one another, even in the ministry of cleaning. What an amazing thing. And that brings us to the third thing, and that is this. What, what will bring about this kind of obedience in the life of a person? What will sustain it? What will feel it? Because the truth is, and I think all of us would be who, who labor in the word would be less than honest with you if we told you that obedience to the word is easy. It, it's not. You, you know that. You know that even as a parent trying to train up your own children in obedience. You know that isn't an easy thing for you or for them. So what is it that will fuel your obedience in the absence of, Of a physical presence holding you accountable to that obedience. What will fuel that? And that's the final thing that Paul prays for. Pray for the powerful success of God's word, verse one and two. Pray for the protection of God as that word begins to do its work, that's verses two and three. Pray for ongoing personal obedience to the will of God as God reveals that through his word. What is the will of God for your life? It isn't subjective. It isn't this sort of subjective thing that, you know, I've just got to figure it out. I, you know, if I just pray more, I'll, I, you, do, you should pray for the will of God in your life. But the will of God isn't as subjective as you and I think it is. God told us we have a Bible that is sufficient for all of life and godliness. So, knowing the will of God means I've got to come to the scriptures and I've got to find out what God has said. And then I've got to go do that in my life. And what is going to fuel that is the fourth and final thing that Paul prays for, and it is this pray for progressive growth in the way of God. Look at verse 5. May the Lord direct our hearts, your hearts, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The word direct here is a very interesting word. It means to lead, to incline, to set. It's the idea that you see in Ezra 7.10 when Ezra set his heart. He inclined his heart. He pointed his heart. He firmed up his heart in this direction. God says, may God do this. This is not something that you can just decide to do in your own strength. There is something that God has to do for you. And it relates to your inner man. There is something that God has to ignite in you. There's something that God has to reveal. And that's why Paul says, ask God for this. This isn't going to come as you sort of screw up your courage one notch higher and you say, you know what, I'm just going to try one, you know, one level up. I'm going to level up a bit here. And I'm going to work harder at this. And I'm just going to love God. That's not how this works. And Paul acknowledges that, may the Lord do this. There's something that has to happen in your heart and in my heart, and we should pray for one another that God would do this. God has to incline our hearts. God has to set our hearts. God has to change our hearts. It's the same work in our own hearts and our inner man that, that God did with Peter and those early disciples as they were on the road Uh, and they were on the road to Caesarea Philippi, and they're having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus wants to know who who people think he is with the relationship to the Son of Man title. And Peter, Peter has this amazing answer. Peter says, well, Lord, you know, a lot of people are thinking a lot of things about you. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people think you're an astonishing teacher, but... With regard to the son of man in Daniel 7, nobody is thinking that about you. That's the idea there. And so Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, well, I want to know what you think. What do you think? And Peter has this astonishing answer. He says, we, we know, we know who you are. We know that you are the Christ. We know you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We know that you're that Daniel 7 person who stood before the ancient of days And received glory and honor and dominion and power in the kingdom. We know you are him. You remember what Jesus said? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out. It wasn't because you put all the prophecies together. It wasn't because you thought and reasoned and logic did all together. You didn't get to that conclusion. Through your human reasoning, my Father revealed it to you. How did you become a Christian? You believe something about Jesus that makes zero sense. I mean, try virgin birth out on anybody but Jesus tomorrow morning at work and see the response. People are going to go, Can you seem like a reasonably intelligent person? I mean, biology doesn't work that way. I mean, try resurrection from the dead. I'm not talking about fake resurrection from the dead. I'm talking about like real resurrection from the dead. I mean, you believe things that make no human sense. And you don't just sort of affirm them in your head. You actually have embraced them as a way of life. How did that happen? You know, Jesus said, you didn't get there by human reason. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed. It was my father who revealed it to you. And that's why some of you sitting in here, you hear spiritual truth every week and it comes right in and it doesn't resonate because your eyes haven't been fully opened yet. the Spirit of God has to do that. And that's one of the ways the Spirit of God draws you as you start to listen. And all of a sudden, stuff that you, you may have mocked five years ago, you're actually listening to now and you're going, what? And then as that light, Peter talks about the light rising, the day star rising. It's like, Dim lights in a room and they start to grow brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter as you sit in the presence of that light and you hear the word. It is overcoming obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And you hear the mocking and you hear the the illogic of it. And God is faithful to protect you from that. And you keep coming and you keep hearing. All of a sudden, the command that God says to believe is one that your heart hungers to do. Where did that come from? Because it wasn't there five years ago. You mocked it five years ago. You were a teenager going, I I don't want this. This doesn't make any sense to me. And here you are now and you can't get enough of it. And you may not even know how it happened, but the light came on in your heart and the scales from off your eyes. It's just like Paul wrote to the Corinthians God, who caused light to shine in the beginning, caused light to shine in your heart so that you could see the beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus. And how did God do that? Well, Paul said it in that text, 2 Corinthians 4, he used the word. How did God cause light to shine in the beginning? He used logos. He spoke it. How has God cause light to shine in my heart and your heart? Through the word. That's why Paul says, let it flow freely. Pray this. So, what does this word reveal and what does God direct your heart to? An amazing thing. The love of God. You see, really? Are you kidding me? That's it? That's where this is all going? You're the John 316 guy that I see on NFL games all the time. That's it. For God to love the world? I mean, come on. I've known that since I was a kid. Everybody knows that God loves everybody. God loves everybody. God is what? Can you finish that? Love. So are you, I mean, this has got to be going somewhere different. Well, yes and no. And I'm going to suggest something to you that I'm embarrassed to say I didn't pick up on for a long time in my Christian life. I knew that that God loved people, but I didn't have a category for that. I didn't have a category to understand that. Because I'm an image bearer. I have categories for certain things. For example, I know I have a category for what look, love looks like and, and love feels like between a father and a son. I, I have that category because I'm a son and I love my dad and and, and and I'm a father and I love my son. I have a category for that. I, I know what that looks like and I know what it feels like, and it may be imperfect, but I understand it. I have a category for that. I have a category for what love looks like and feels like for a spouse. I know what, what it's like to love a spouse and I know what it's like to be loved by a spouse. I have a category for that. And I know what it's like to love and be loved by a friend. A best friend, a a, a ministry partner, I I know what it's like to be loved and to love the people of God. I have categories for all of that, but I don't have this category. I don't have a category to understand or comprehend love that flows from God. I want you to think about this. For all eternity, there were three members who made up a trinity and they deeply loved each other. There was an intimate, intense, passionate, white-hot love that flowed between all three of them. The Father loved the Son. The Son received that love and loved the Father. The Spirit received and observed all this love and celebrated it. And one day God said, I want our image bearers to experience this. And you don't have a category for it. It's like the wiring of an old house. When you put a certain amount of electricity and power into those old wires, they fry because they don't have the capacity to experience this. And so God sent the third member of the Trinity into your heart so that he would do something. He would shed that love abroad. And all of a sudden, you have something you've never had before. You have the capacity to experience that love. And you have the capacity to display that love. You've never been loved this way. You've never understood this love. I mean, you heard God was love your entire life. But all of a sudden, as you come into this amazing relationship, you, the most unlovable thing in the universe, are experiencing the most intense love and delight That you could have God looking at His Son on the day of His baptism said, "This one is My beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased, and in You the Father is also well pleased." You say, "Man, I'm not even well pleased when I look in the mirror. How could that be true?" And that's the astonishing thing about this love. We don't, we don't have a category for it. It's not something we dare believe. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we figure out. It's something the Spirit of God puts in our heart. And that's why Paul says, pray that God would incline your heart to this. You say, well, I I just don't know if I can believe that. And that's why Paul says, think about the steadfastness of Christ. That's the idea of patient enduring of Christ. Why did he do that? He did that so that you could experience that love. It is the single cosmic proof of what Paul is saying here that God loved you. The proof of God's love for you is not that good stuff is happening in your life. The proof of God's love for you is not denied by the fact that bad stuff might be happening in your life. The unshakable, unassailable display of God's immense, passionate, white-hot love and pleasure in you is what he assigned for his son to do, who on the last day of his earthly life asked his father for something, and for the very first time in all of eternity, God the Father said no to God the Son so that he could say yes to you when you came to him and you asked him for the thing you most need and you most long for, and that is life beyond this little life. Paul says, pray that God will help you to see that, because when you see that, it explodes all legalism out of your life. When you see that, it explodes all performance to be accepted living, explodes all of that. When you see And experience that. You know, the heart response of that is, God, of course you can have my life. Anything, anywhere, whatever, whenever, however, Lord, whatever you want, I'm in. I'm in because I I just cannot, I cannot imagine this kind of love. I never would have dared believe this. So whatever, whenever, however, for however long, at whatever cost God I'm in. You want to take my life and you want to send it across an ocean? Amen. Lord, you want to keep it here and you wanna you want to invest it at Target as a cashier? Lord, if that if that's what you want, I'm in. Lord, you want me to go halfway across the country and go to seminary? You want me to you want me to stay here and and, and serve in the church? Lord, you want me to what whatever, Lord, however, wherever I'm in. Because I can't believe this immense love. And, and then you want everybody else to know about this love. And you hear people say, "Well, God loves, God loves everybody." and you're like, "Yeah, you, you don't understand. You have no clue. You have no clue." And that person who tastes a tiny little bit of kindness for you comes into this body, and that love is flowing between each other and for each other and you're going, how did that happen? And the answer is, the powerful word of God is at work, and God is protecting that work in your life, and you are obeying. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because God has directed your heart into the most amazing reality in the universe, and it is the love of God, and you can't wait to get there. You're like Paul. You're like, I, man, I, I just don't know what I want. I mean, I'm like the guy who wants two things. I, I wanna, I wanna go and be with Him. That's my passionate desire because I want to experience His love in unadulterated ways. But, it, but it's needful for me right now to be here. But, but man, I, I can't wait. And people are looking at you, and you go, are, are you nuts? And, and, and you're going, you know, I, I hope not. I, I'm loved like I've never been loved before. And that's enabling me to do what I've never been willing to do before. Because I've, I've been loved like I've never been loved before. It's enabling me to do what I've never been willing to do before. And God, you have been an amazing reality. If your children felt that in your home, what would it do? Young people, if your friends at school felt that, what would it do? And maybe you're here this morning as we close and I pray. You're saying, Brother Sam, you know what? I've never heard this before. You actually have if you've been in this church. You've been hearing the word of God all these years. You say, well, you know, I'm kind of new here. I've been coming for a year or so, and and it's starting to make sense. But, man, I I just, I, I don't, does God love me that way? And the answer is yes. And he sent his son to display that love and make that love available. And you say, well, how do I get it? You get it when the spirit of God opens your eyes like he's been doing. The fact you're asking that question ought to tell you something. and ought to tell you the spirit of God is drawing you and he's opening your eyes. And the very best thing you could do is to catch one of the elders here or one of the mature believers in here and say, you know, that guy that spoke on Sunday, I want, I want, that, that's been going on in my heart. I, I need, I need to talk about that. Pastor, can I talk to you or one of the elders or maybe a Sunday school or adult Bible fellowship? What an incredible thing could happen if you are the next person in this body that God is awakening to the truth of the gospel and these glorious teachings of the grace of God. Father, thank you for our time this morning. What a precious truth from your word. May it flow right to our lives. May it encourage us. May it deepen us. May it strengthen us. Lord, may it convict us. Lord, as you show the little edges of our life that are peeling up that you desire to transform, may we not resist, may we not just ignore and, and put a spiritual picture over that piece of our life. May we bring that piece of our life to your word and by your spirit, may you do the work that you desire to do. And then, Lord, may our hearts be so strengthened and encouraged by the knowledge not just theologically, but experientially of your love for us. And then, Lord, I do pray that if you are at work in someone's life today, that you would bring that work to fruition for your glory and for the sake of the gospel of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.